private media publishing group the latest to get hit with redundancies. Also on this episode, Australia's creative industry wants to clean up its act and now we have the proof. And the founder behind Jim's Mowing has launched a beauty business and it is booming. Hello everyone, welcome to the Mumbrella Cast, a discussion of everything under Australia's media and marketing umbrella. I'm your host, Neil Griffiths, the editor of Mumbrella, and I'm joined today, as always, by Mumbrella publisher, Adam Lang. Hello, Adam. Hello, Neil. And for the first time ever, at least since I'm hosting, Mumbrella journalist, Kalila Welsh. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Neil. It's good to be back. It's good to have you on the show. We've been working together now for five to six weeks, and this is our podcast debut. Yeah, it's amazing. Great, great to be here. Um, look, we brought you on today, Kalila, because the main story this week is a very big one, and it's actually one you wrote on mumbrella.com.au, and that is that private media, this is the publisher behind the likes of Crikey and the Mandarin, they're the latest to be hit with redundancies this week. So again, Kalila, you wrote the story. What can you tell us? So the story runs quite similarly, I guess, to what we've seen from a number of other businesses over the course of the year. Private media CEO Will Hayward said that the business had made the decision to reduce its headcount after what he described as a difficult year for advertising revenue. So it was initially reported by The Australian that staff were informed in an urgent meeting on Thursday afternoon that despite the business's efforts to cut costs in other areas, it had become necessary to make eight roles redundant across the business. So what we understand is that that's five non-editorial roles and three editorial roles. And staff were also given the opportunity to self-nominate for these redundancies, uh, which I think they had to do by 4pm on Monday. And then they'll be told um, at some point this week who's going to be made redundant. And I believe they'll be whoever is made redundant will work up until the 8th of December, at which point they'll cease working for the business and be paid out in line with uh, their redundancy package. I think the most interesting thing, though, and, and this is what we don't know so far, is where those redundancies are actually going to be placed in terms of the the staff across the four titles at private media. So as you mentioned, Crikey is the largest. It's the biggest known uh, title they have. They have, I understand, somewhere around the mark of eight staff, I think. But there are other titles, which includes The Mandarin, Australia and Smart Company have much smaller editorial teams, I think only around two to three between them. So it's going to be interesting where they're going to stack these redundancies and how that's going to affect the operations of each title. So the story says these cuts come on the back of the current economic climate and falling revenue. Despite only months after Fox CEO Lachlan Murdoch, he had to pay $1.3 million in legal costs to private media following a failed defamation suit against the company. Should we be surprised about these redundancies considering this fee? Uh, in short, no. I don't think we should be surprised. So obviously Murdoch did pay out a pretty hefty fee, but as we normally see in these kind of civil cases, that wasn't actually the total amount that was spent on legal fees for private media. I believe he did pay more than the minimum amount he had to, but yeah, it still didn't cover the total amount of fees. And it's also important to remember the internal time and resources spent on this issue. So I'm sure it was you know, it, it was a really big fight, I guess, for such a relatively small publisher to take on over such an extended period. And it probably was a distraction from a lot else of what they were doing. So, yeah, I, I think you can probably assume there was a lot of costs there as well. Mm. Adam, I want to come to you because we've seen and reported on the website and this podcast as well about companies like WPP. They cut staff from the Australian office. CHEP did the same in the last month. Lad Bible confirmed to us that 52 staff in its Australian offices are at risk of redundancy. What is this saying about the current media climate? 
Yeah, look, it's unfortunately it's not a unique story, is it? We are hearing about redundancies and cost changes in businesses. SCA was one that announced another cost out program recently of 10 to $15 million over two years. So it, it is familiar terrain and that is always hard because you know there are people involved in this and for all the statistics we talk about, we hear about big numbers and 20 roles and so on. It's like, wow, every one of those stories is unique. So they all have impact. I think in short, in the broader economic context, it's not a surprise. We are seeing continuing trends in data that there are challenges in front of us. There are challenges on our doorstep right now, but there, there still are challenges ahead. So one of the data points I can pick out from the last week was last Wednesday, the Australian Securities and Investments Commission had a summit and appearing in that future fund boss, Raphael Arndt, said the possible re-election of Donald Trump late next year marked quite a dangerous point in history. And you go, okay, so we're getting into geopolitics and what a change in president might mean in the US, but we know that could have international impact in a, in a broad context. Beyond that, Federal Treasurer Jim Chalmers and Reserve Bank Governor Michelle Bullock all warned that geopolitical tensions are indeed among the economy's biggest challenges. Dr Chalmers told the ASIC conference that the next two years of growth will be the weakest in the past two decades outside the global financial crisis and the COVID pandemic, right? So in the last 20 years, those are two big events, COVID and the global financial crisis. These will be the two years of slowest growth in those two decades. And that's, oh, wow, okay, that's pretty significant. But importantly in that, what I think he's describing is slowing growth and not decline. So we, we sometimes hear talk of recession and crises, but he's still talking about slow growth, not decline. I think that's really important to remember. Amongst that too, we know there's cost of living pressure, interest rates, fuel prices, energy prices, they are pervasive. They affect consumers and that, of course, brings pressure on the marketing budget. So I think it's just true to say there are challenges ahead and we're seeing some of these come out through the industry, cost reductions and role redundancies. I think if I can make some hopeful comments around all of that reasonably bleak data, mm. It is this, is that we are seeing in Australia that we are capable of doing the best work in the world, right? We are able to compete and, and deliver the very best the world can see. So I think we're going to need to be at our best to get through this well. And when you go about choosing partners, employees, clients, you only want to be choosing people to work with that share in that same objective as you do, that we can be the best in the world and we must be through periods like this. At the risk of making this podcast too political, and mm. this is me just being curious right now, and Kalila, feel free to jump in. When the future fund boss, Raphael Arndt, said the possible re-election of Trump could be a dangerous point in history. Mm. Now, I have was in New York for the last two years. Uh, New York is obviously a blue state. Mm. That is a serious concern. From what we can see, at least from what we're seeing on the news right now, you'd probably be betting on Trump to get back in. So, look, we are straying into political territory here, which is incredibly dangerous. Yes, I know. But you know, just for, for anyone who's not familiar with the reference point of blue state, you know, we have Labor, Liberal, Coalition, Teal, Independence here in Australia. In America, politics tends to be dominated by the Democratic Party, known as the blue side, and, and the Republicans, who are known as red, and obviously Donald Trump uh, is very much at one end, perhaps, of the extreme uh, with the, the Republican Party and the red side. So uh, I think it's just true to say on form, we've seen what a presidency from Donald Trump has done before. It's been remarkable in so many ways. It's like 
you get news releases on X or what was known as Twitter <laughs> then. You know, that's how he tends to do information exchange with the public. Um, somewhat erratic. Like you can just see announcements being made when you do not expect them mm. and position statements being made. So things that markets don't like is uncertainty and that is something that comes with Donald Trump. No matter what side of politics or any side of politics you're interested in or, or favour, it's the uncertainty that tends to be a challenge in geopolitics and, and internationally uh, in the economy. And I think that we've come to learn to expect that from Donald Trump. And feeding this back to Australian media, how would that impact it? And the follow-up to that is how can Australian media bounce back given the current climate? Yeah, so I think uh, our economy is good. We're in good shape. You know, we've we've seen numbers come out today where inflation is softening and that is great news for in, uh, softening interest rates, perhaps not immediately, but in the coming, say, 12 to 18 months. And that's, that's good news and I think a relief. When you consider the landscape of Australian brands, uh, it is a truism to say that many of them are owned by companies that are overseas. And so when you might look at a Procter & Gamble or a Unilever or huge car brands, many of those brands, they don't just look at Australia on its own, they look at the world. And so if they are domiciled in America and they're seeing a view of the world from there, it can impact their marketing budgets in Australia. It can impact their marketing messaging in, in this country. So I think it, it's got this backdrop context, both the economy and geopolitics as to what messaging is coming through to Australia and what money is able to be spent here on marketing those messages. We can always rely on you to be glass half full, Adam. Yeah. That's what I like about you. <laughs> always. As always, keep an eye on umbrella.com.au for more details on this as they come. We'll be right back in a moment. Welcome back to the Umbrella cast with myself, Neil Griffiths, Adam Lang and Kalila Welsh. Uh, guys, earlier this week, preliminary results from a survey looking at Australia's creative industry were released, which was sparked by some death threats on trade media after a campaign on International Women's Day earlier this year. The results overwhelmingly show that the industry needs to clean up its act. Now, before we get to these results, Kalila, we were talking yesterday morning when these results came through, um, and you kind of gave me a rundown of how this came to be. So maybe just tell the listeners about this survey. Sure. So for those who don't know, uh, this survey was conducted by Drop the Shade, which is an industry campaign that basically has pushed for the industry to better control and moderate peer feedback shared, particularly on trade media forums. So the issue of negative peer feedback has been an ongoing point of contention in the advertising industry. Um, most people do have the view that constructive criticism is obviously a good thing, but a lot of what we've seen hasn't been constructive criticism. So we've seen a lot of pressure on certain trade media titles to better moderate their comment sections to restrict vitriolic, violent and often discriminatory commentary on people's work. And so obviously beyond creating a harmful and toxic environment for creatives uh, who are sharing peer feedback, it's also been seen to be really discouraging to young junior creatives who don't have the wins under their belt to kind of have that foundation of confidence to be able to bounce back when somebody's taking a, a hit at their work. Sure. So that campaign kind of came to a head earlier this year when the campaign that you mentioned uh, on International Women's Day, um, which was created by Fuck the Cupcakes, which is an Adland gender equality initiative, and the, the campaign was worked on by Inotion. So Jasmine Badir, who is the CEO of Inotion and also the founder of Fuck the Cupcakes, was the recipient of a wave of 
awful, awful hatred, death threats to her inbox, um, vile comments online, all over this campaign, which I, I think was shared on a Reddit forum for men's rights activists. And it was essentially they were critiquing the campaign for taking too much of a stab at men or, you know, something to that effect. So essentially this survey is the natural next step for the Drop the Shade campaign. Basically they're throwing to the advertising industry to weigh in on what they think is an appropriate way to um, moderate the feedback giving or dialogue, I guess, in the industry. Well, looking at like a, some highlights of this survey, 57% of the respondents said most people providing feedback on their work is negative. 54% said they've been personally offended by that negative feedback. Over three quarters of survey respondents said this is impacting talent retention and discouraging new talent. Adam, given what we spoke about before the break, these figures are pretty damning. Yeah, they're gobsmacking and it's really hard to listen to actually. My history has been, my, my work history has been working in music, uh, working in television, radio, audio, now with Mumbrella. Great feedback is one of the most precious things you can give to someone, <laughs> right? Constructive feedback. Because we all want it, I think. We all want to do a great job. And it's just not true to say any piece of work is worth nothing, right? I, I think you have to be able to intelligently operate north of that and point out at least something that's good and useful about an idea. It may not be perfect, it doesn't have to be, but it could be some way towards that and you can encourage that with good feedback. Now, I, I do not mean to diminish passion, but I think it has to come with respect. And what you're hearing here is this disrespect is sometimes going way beyond that. I mean, even including death threats, mm -hmm. that's just bizarre. And But to make people feel unsafe or not worthy, uh, that is awful and we, we should be capable of so much better. So I think the power in this data is that we're hearing this, right, or we're seeing this information. It's real information. It's the way people feel and we, we have to be doing much, much better. You mentioned them. We, we both have a background in the music industry. The amount of bands that I I've, can name where they've released one song and it's not just your song's bad, it's you look stupid, you dress poorly, whatever it may be, it's it's negative, negative, negative. And the... the the stat there that really is sad to hear is about the talent retention and discouraging new talent. Why would someone want to get into an industry <laughs> if they know that they are going to be at the mercy of the worst kind of criticism? How, as an industry, do we change that conversation? Well, I guess that's kind of what the this campaign's trying to do. It's it's trying to drive the conversation and bring people in on the conversation on how we can do better as an industry as a whole. And I think a lot of that comes down to like not enabling people to just pile on anonymous feedback to things, particularly when the feedback is, you know, straying away from the actual creative itself. You know, it's fair enough to say a creative idea didn't work or I didn't like how you did this. But when you're making it personal – when you're making it really political, when you're going that extreme. I mean, to share work on a men's rights forum, I mean, obviously that is, that's trying to elicit some sort of wave of feedback and wave of hatred. And I just don't think that that's fair or conducive to anything positive. Kalila, do you know if this survey will happen again? Is it going to be ongoing? I think these are preliminary results, so I think it's something they're going to continue working on and, and I believe that they're going to continue pushing forward here. It's something that uh, the founders are really, really passionate about 
and has been really well received and supported in the industry as a whole as well. I think it's something that most leaders in this industry would agree is an issue that needs to be addressed and invested in. And, you know, like all of the other issues we see in in this industry and quality across different spectrums, it's something that we're just going to have to keep working towards. You can check out the preliminary results on umbrella.com.au and stay tuned for more details as they come. Before we wrap up, guys, I thought we'd end on a positive note or a happy note. Kalila, you did an interview with Jim Penman. He's the founder and CEO of Jim's Group. So for people who don't know, Jim's mowing, Jim's cleaning. He's launched a beauty business, Jim's Beauty, and you spoke to him about it. And not only did you speak to him about it, it is one of the most read stories on umbrella.com.au this week. It's done so well. So I want you to tell the people about it. Wow, thank you. What an introduction. Yeah, so I spoke to Jim Penman, um, who's the founder of Jim's Group, as you said, started with Jim's Mowing back in, I think, the late 80s and has evolved now to more than 50 different services, which is pretty interesting. Um, But the biggest stir has been created, I guess, by this new beauty offering. And Jim was pretty frank about uh, how this came about, being that he has no idea what happens Mm -hmm. in the beauty industry and he really has no interest in it. But he was approached by one of his current franchisees who thought it might be something that there would be demand for. And so basically they thought, let's give it a go. They launched the brand with no franchisees on board yet, no one, um, you know, ready to take up the service. And within the first week they had more than 300 inquiries and dozens of franchise inquiries. And I believe they now have four franchisees in training who I think organised in training for the 4th of December or something like that. So it's not even up and on the road yet. And obviously it's been all over the media. They uh, like they got a wonderful amount of earned media coverage across various TV channels, radio, you know, kind of everywhere. And now Mumbrella, lucky them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a fascinating choice. And really basically what we talked about was the strength of the brand being that, you know, when they first started, Jim was really hesitant to extend that brand beyond Jim's mowing. He thought the the logo is him with his hat on, how he used to dress when he used to mow the lawns because he started doing it himself before he um, brought franchisees on board. And he tried to launch a cleaning company in the 90s, you know, maybe about seven years or so after he first launched the mowing business. And they tried to launch under a different name, (laughs) No Luck was completely unsuccessful. Somebody told him, why don't you try launching it under the gym's name? And he said, that's a stupid idea. That's never going to work. Like that's the brand for the mowing business. He eventually gave it a go and apparently it was a smash hit. And like, he just basically hasn't looked back. He's extended it over, you know, so many different services, most of them being home services though. So most of them are a lot of things that kind of make sense. And this beauty thing has just you know, kind of taken the online world by storm because people thought it was a joke to begin with. But I guess, yeah, the the interest in it so far, um, he said that quite often he sees customers that are with one service book across multiple services. So it seems like it could and it might already be a success. Who knows about the longevity of it? But yeah, it's it's fascinating and, and just, you know, a testament to the strength of a brand without really having to put in much collateral around it or having to really adjust it too much to suit a completely different market for a completely different consumer. Mm. I love how candid he was in the interview. I mean, the headline of the story is, I know nothing about the beauty industry. But in that story, and you just mentioned it there, he said it's about getting the right person. It's about the brand. 
Adam, we've been talking the last few weeks about crisis comms and, and the brand being the most important thing. It's the Jim's Mowings founder that has the formula here. Yeah, he does. And look, the story is amazing. So he got a PhD in history. Like he is a <laughs> brainy guy. And to pay his way through that, he was mowing lawns and that eventually led to Jim's mowing, right? So this is... This is a fascinating story. Uh, was it 50 divisions he's got, Kalila? I counted 50 on the website, <laughs> but that didn't include Jim's Legal, which has um, also recently launched. So I think there's a couple of others that maybe aren't on the website yet. Right. Jim's fencing, Jim's dog wash. You know, Jim's group. I think Jim's castles, jumping castles and party supplies. <laughs> Crazy. So I'm told 4,300 franchisees yeah. right, in this Turnover, approximately $500 million. What a brand from a mowing business to that. I think it's just extraordinary. He also, alongside this, has 11 children. <laughs> so just what a character. You know, I just think this story has so many layers to it. I think it's terrific and a really good story. I just want to jump in there. Apparently it's 5,200 5, franchisees It's growing still. Yeah, it's growing so much. They said they've had a lot of growth over the last couple of years. Um, and I think that but that that number extends across Australia, UK, Canada, maybe New Zealand, I think. See, Australian brands taking on the world. Go, Jims. We'll have to get him to sponsor the podcast if we can. Jim, if you're listening, please, we really need you, mate. Guys, thank you so much for coming on today's show. Appreciate your time, Adam. Thank you, Neil. Kalila, thanks so much for coming by. Yeah, it was a good one. Well, um, we'll do it again. I can't promise it'll be next week. We like to alternate guests, but you'll be back soon, I promise. Yeah, I will be. Every exclusive story you write will have you in the chair, so no pressure, please. <laughs> thanks so much. This is the Mumbrella Cast. Remember to hit follow on the podcast and head along to mumbrella.com.au for more info on everything we've talked about today. I'm Neil Griffiths. Thanks for your company, and we'll see you next time.